You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is a very exciting edition. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of Hoist the Colors, the publisher of hoistthecolors.net. I am joined by Jason Tindall. He is pirate backer on hoistthecolors.net, one of our favorite posters, always bringing insight to the message boards, and he's kind enough to join us on this Sunday night. And uh, Jason, a, a few days after the dramatic win, I had to travel back from Utah, get settled back into town, and I'll start off uh, by saying, man, what an awesome trip it was, not only because ECU won, but because uh, it, it's just an amazing place to visit. I, I echo everybody's thoughts that, that is also talked about it on Pirate Radio and on the message board. But, uh, man, what a way to win it. And, you know, this team is is never short on dramatics. So uh, uh, Andrew Conrad gets it to go in the 33-yard line drive kick. Just uh, how exciting was it to watch that one? It was great. First of all, I'm jealous of the uh, the pictures everybody was sending me from Utah of the mountains in the background. So uh, t- two trips to uh, Provo, and I missed both of them, unfortunately. Um, scheduling snafus and, and, and real-world problems of work, travel, interfere with both. But um, you think, you're talking about Conrad's kick, and, and I, Brett Hickman summed it up the best when he said that it was like a two-iron that went hot. And um you know, it's hard to tell when you're watching it live on TV that it was that low and, and you know that fast of trajectory. But um, there's a, there's a really big piece of this game that is special when when you watch us play not as well as we'd like to on defense, especially giving up as much yards rushing as we did, which is not our you know not our normal outing, and to still pull out a win, you know, two time zones away, uh, you know, altitude, cooler cooler temperature, short week. Um, and you know, there's another piece I would love to do a study one day about the the, age, the average age of a BYU football player compared to an ECU football player or any of their opponents. But uh, that's a whole nother conversation, and I won't get into that on tonight's game. But huge win, um, you know, it just it just sets the stage for the rest of the season. If you think about now, when our second half of the year, even though our open week is so late, uh, you know, we we can get healed up and and, and rested and and see what. It, you know, the the goal is to capture this momentum that we have with a three-game winning streak and, and carry it over to uh, to Nippert Stadium in a couple of weeks on Friday night. Yeah, and it's just amazing. You know, I was down the field pregame, and 
I was standing next to ECU's offensive line and like they were they were big guys and I was talking to another writer and I was like, man, these dudes are huge and we're talking about East Carolina. And then I went down to the BYU end of the field because I wanted to talk to Justin Anderson. He was at uh, ECU in the spring. He was the director of recruiting for a couple months and then he went to BYU, which is where he's from and, and caught up with him and I, I saw some of the BYU guys and I, I thought to myself, damn, uh, ECU has gotten bigger, but they are nowhere near as big as BYU, especially their offensive line. Their defensive line is not as big as normal. They're kind of squatty, but that those offensive linemen are huge, and they kind of leaned on ECU. They were probably the biggest O-line ECU's faced all year. But it's just – you mentioned it, Jason, man. So much went wrong. You know, it's hard to even list off everything that went wrong. But, you know, the, the couple things that, that jumped to mind, you had – the, the Jeremy Lewis lined up offsides, and that took away the, the really big defensive play that could have changed the entire game. I think it was Chad Stevens with the sack and the strip sack. Um, you had the, the the pass interference and roughing the passer on the same play at one point. Uh, you had a couple of fumbles you got away with on special teams. Um, you had a missed field goal in the fourth quarter. I'm sure I'm leaving something out as well that that, uh, that the busted coverage on defense. So like you made a ton of mistakes, and still at the end of the night, Jason, they found a way to win. And I just, you know, I picked BYU to win because I felt like ECU would have some of those issues given the short turnaround. And I didn't think, I'll be honest, I didn't think they had enough to to overcome that and a hungry BYU team. But they found a way, man, and it, it's really impressive. And I said going in, if they won it, it would be a statement. And I still feel that way. I, I feel like it was definitely a statement win. It, it, and you, there's the two plays in the first half with the the group that was watching the game at my house. We were talking about was the um, the strip sack fumble recovery that was negated by the offsides. And if you as before the ball was snapped, we're yelling at the TV that he's literally half a yard offsides, and it happens, especially as a stand up defensive end edge rusher. You're trying to get every inch you can as far as uh, you know competitive advantage of that offensive tackle because once you get to their hip you've got them beat and you can turn the corner and get you know dip and rip and, and get to the quarterback but there's another play that stood out to me and uh it was a third down pass that marlon gunn caught and started turning up field early and just dropped it and he was, it, was, it was a first down both those plays happened at times where we had a chance we had we had seized momentum after the field goal that they had with the long Keaton Mitchell run, and we started kind of somewhat taking over the moment, the uh, flow of the game. And I said, to guys, we're going to, have to we're going to, have to get some breaks tonight to win this game now because we we allowed them to capture uh, uh, captain momentum as well, being at home. So, as you said, we we won an ugly game, and good teams do that. Um, and and I feel like we've we've got a really good team. I've said it all year. Uh, you can read the message boards and you can talk about the records, this, that, and other, the Navy game, the Tulane game, the NC State game. Uh, th those games, even though we came up on the short side of the stick, it just reaffirmed to me that the program's heading in the right direction. So it's just positive to win like that and to win so far away from home. That is a tough, tough trip to make, irregardless. You know, people forget BYU beat Baylor. I mean, they beat some really good teams this year already. They've got some injuries, but so do we. We've got quite a few guys out that could be helping us right now as well. So let's not let's not jump into the negative town and just start looking at how do we how do we wrap up the rest of the year, uh, starting with Cincinnati in a couple of weeks. And I thought too that watching BYU in person, they were just as good as what I thought they would be. Like they 
you know, defensively, I knew they had struggled and they still had some issues, but you know, offensively, their quarterback, I mean, he was faster than I thought he would be. He he made some plays on the run. Um, you know, credit ECU's pass defense. They were in the right place, really outside of that one busted coverage. I think it was Julius Wood who gave up the the touchdown to Puka Nakua. Um, you know, ECU was clearly all over BYU trying to get the ball to Nakua outside of that play. They had like three or four guys swarming through the football in those little swing passes or little throws over the middle, but the guy's just a hell of a player. Um, you know, they were able to run the ball, which was just a little concerning. We can maybe talk about that in a bit, but yeah, man, at the end of the day, you overcome all that and, you know, the really heads up play by Ty Moss on the special teams fumble recovery. I, I tweeted that out earlier. You know, I was just rewatching the game. Like, if you don't recover that ball, 17-10 BYU, they have all the momentum. And, and you mentioned it, tough place to play. Their crowd was into it, man. And when that ball popped loose, the whole stadium gasped. So that was a huge play. And then ECU goes on to tie it. And, uh, you know, the offense just answered the, the every every defensive score that was allowed by ECU uh, or every score that was allowed by the ECU's defense, uh, the offense answered all night, which was critical. Yeah, so the Tom Moss play was special to me because I grew up with his dad, Curtis, here in Apex. And, uh, you know, they're down in Whiteville now. But Ty's one of those guys, you think about a, a true ECU pirate walk-on who's a tremendous athlete and contributing on special teams. But it, it was. I mean, that was – it, there's a there's a gigantic play in the game um, because the worst thing we could do was get two scores down to them at their place. Once you do that, it does, no matter what the fans like to think about, it changes the call sheet for Donnie and the offensive staff. And now BYU recognizes that, and they can start doing some different things defensively, schematically, and, and with their cover shells that makes it more difficult for us to to make up that score difference. Um you mentioned something too earlier about the, the size of the offensive line. That, that's traditionally been something that's been a, a, a leading indicator of BYU. Even back in the 80s, even even when I was playing Heisman in their offensive line, and they were always just gigantic-looking people compared to all the teams and schools I visited. And they just always had big people. And Brett was texting us. You've got big linemen who have good feet, and they can lean on little defensive linemen and just make make it miserable. Um, and they, they did a little bit of that the other night. But the, the key to me is even with the big play for the touchdown, if you look at it defensively uh, against the pass, we gave it, I think it's like 144, 145 yards total for the night, but we gave it like 244 in, pat, in rushing. Um, and so the the – the challenge we have when they start ripping off those runs and having those longer runs and they rush for that many yards is just the time of possession and the the, the game clock becomes another enemy outside of the the sidelines and like you said, um, you know who, who's going to make the biggest mistake at the most critical time. Yeah, and it was really a reversal of what ECU's defense has done all year. Like they've always stopped the run and they've given up big plays through the air. They kind of reversed that going into the BYU game, which was interesting, but, uh, you know, found a way to win in the end, even giving up significant rushing yardage. And in the fourth quarter, when it mattered, Jason, some huge stops, man. I mean, they they got the stops when it mattered. It was, it was really a weird game because, like, we were all texting each other, last person that, or last team that had the ball is going to win, and that, that turned out to be true. But I don't think we thought that when Holt Naylor scored with seven minutes left in the third quarter, that would be the last touchdown. So it turned from, like, a – you know, an offensive firepower game. And, you know, both teams were, were, especially BYU, is more possessing the ball. 
ECU was scoring quickly. It was kind of the opposite of what we saw uh, against UCF. Uh, the Pirates were driving down quickly, scoring quickly, and then all of a sudden it turns into a game of stops and a lot of fourth down stops, a lot of interesting decision by the coaches. But just how about that fourth quarter, man? It was uh, it was a wild one. It, a lot of swings of emotion, that's for sure. It, one thing that's really interesting to me is watching the evolution of our young players who who've been in the program for a while now with the COVID year and everything. But we're starting to play what I call mature football. If you think about how many times this year we haven't had a turnover, we've been extremely low in penalties, and we we step up to the plate defensively when it really matters the most. Those transition downs in the fourth quarter, we did it against NC State. We, you know, we've done it throughout the season, and the fourth quarter was really a a, a great snapshot of that defensive front, those front seven or eight guys. Uh, just really buckling down and saying, okay, we're going to win this down. We And then we're going to worry about the next down, the down afterward. And, and just playing the down as opposed to playing with, let's just say it like it is. There, there was so many years we'd watch an ECU game and, and BYU scores in those situations. They just pop up a 15-yard run right up the middle, and it looks like nobody touches them. And now we, we've got that culture that Coach Houston and his staff and the players are building – that allows them to buckle up and um, you know make the big play and make the big stops when it matters the most, and that was that was truly remarkable considering how the flow of the game had been for the first three quarters. So that fourth quarter was was great Friday night college football. So it's it fun to watch from a pirate perspective, and and you know hats off to BYU. They could have easily folded their tents, and they did not, and they they played hard, tough, and. They made us earn our win, which was, you know, makes it even more gratifying to me than just blasting somebody. I know people think I'm crazy when I say this, but when you just blast people, you you, you kind of develop a mantra of they expect that as opposed to earning it and, and realizing what that investment pays off in the long run for you and your program. There's no doubt. And we see you, they found a way to uh, make a lot of these games as, uh, as, as crazy as possible these last few weeks, although they took care of business versus UCF. So, uh, we'll take that one for sure, and hey, we get a bye week, so uh, we can we can relax a little bit this weekend and and just enjoy football this coming weekend. Um, Jason, uh, t- before we take a quick break, I I do want to talk about too. You know, we were talking before we came on the air. You were kind of having to get together at your house with some some friends, and um, you know, covering the game and in, in Utah, I was getting a lot of text about you know guys that I grew up with watching or people I grew up with watching ECU. And, you know, Friday night national TV game, spotlight game. And how good is it just to know that ECU in that spot kind of delivered? You have your, you know, people that maybe jumped off the train the last five years now watching this game saying, oh, you know, I'll check out ECU, see if they're they're really rebuilding the program. And turns out they win the game. So after the game, I'm getting floods of texts about the Pirates winning. You've got the casual football fan who probably tuned into the game because it's a Friday night game, really the only game on TV. It's just refreshing to see ECU deliver in that spot on a on a weeknight game. They'll have a chance in another couple of weeks, but man, that was uh that was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, it, you get a chance to reestablish that brand that we always took so much pride in, which made us pirates in the past. I cannot tell you, Stephen. I had two Division One head coaches who I know very well text me about the win who have no stake in the game. Um, 
and, and, and multiple people who I've worked with over the years, et cetera, who played at different schools like James Madison or Minnesota or whatever it might be, texting during the game. They're all watching. Everybody's watching the game. They're all in their hotels. They're all at home with their families and they're watching the game. And we're starting to establish that brand again, which helps our our booster, you know, our park club donations, hopefully, because the casual fans start stepping back on board and giving 10 to $100, whatever it might be, annually. But more importantly, it allows our coaches, when they go out into the recruiting territories, the conversation becomes different when, when you're getting called out of class and Blake Carroll's there to talk to you in Atlanta about coming to play at ECU, making an offer to play at East Carolina as a scholarship football player. Um, it, it couldn't be a better time. Uh, and, and the the most important piece to me is it, it will – I believe it's going to start driving more butts and seats at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Now, I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where we're averaging 51,000 people a game, just the way the world is today. We have to make a lot of changes. Um, there's a lot of good ideas on Hoist the Colors right now about how to make the, the game day experience better, and I agree with pretty much 99% of what everybody's saying. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to do we have a quality product on the field? Is it something we can be prideful about? And also, you know, people are uh, messaging about are we back? There hasn't been a game yet this year that I did not feel like we could win going into it. And that tells me we're back. You're not going to win every game. It's just we're not Ohio State. We're not Georgia. We probably never will be. But we can be tough and we can be hard-nosed. We can be pirates. And that's what's – uh, most gratifying about this past Friday's game. It shows us we're, we're on our way back to being a, a national brand again where people recognize ECU as for what it is, tough, hard-nosed, blue-collar, good people, and great football. There's no doubt, and the Pirates will get another chance in a couple of weeks in the same situation Friday night at Cincinnati. We'll talk about that and much more on the other side. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, we're back into the Hoist of Colors podcast. Uh, Jason Tindall alongside. We're breaking down ECU's 27-24 Game-winning field goal, walk-off kick at BYU. And, Jason, we haven't talked too much about the some of the individual performances, so let's get into some of those from this game before we look into, you know, the, the crystal ball and what awaits at Cincinnati and beyond in a few weeks. But uh, Keaton Mitchell, man, I, I said it going into the game. This felt like a Keaton Mitchell game. BYU, more size than speed, and Mitchell killed him with speed all night. 21 carries, 176 yards, 8.4 yards per carry. And how many times did he get a handoff and just 
there were guys there. He just ran around them, man. It was amazing to watch. It's it's the good and the bad. Um, as he's bouncing those inside zone runs, uh, this was the perfect game to do it because I felt like on the edge, they just didn't have quite the quickness or speed to to maintain Keaton. And you're talking about 21 carries, 176 yards, 8.4 yards a carry. That's that's some teams don't see that in 10 years, right? It just doesn't happen as much. And we're we're, we're pretty uh, spoiled by Keaton Mitchell. The the piece that I want to make sure we can do those start running that outside zone, that stretch zone play, um, and, and some of the counters off of it as well, um, because he's not going to be able to do that against Cincinnati, I don't think. I think they're going to be pretty stout on the edges against the run. They're going to fit really well. They're inside linebackers watching a game against UCF yesterday fit well. So Keaton's got to understand that game it might be more of how the play is designed and you need to run it to create the bigger play down the down the road as 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 the schematics start changing. But what a special player. Um at, at, the guy's like lightning in a bottle. He really is. Uh so we're 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 spoiled right now. Yeah, he's he's amazing. I hope people realize uh just how good he is. And you know, we'll see draft eligible this year. We'll see what happens with that. Hopefully he comes back for at least another year. We'll be fun. He's got two more years of eligibility left after this one. Uh, but either way, Marlon Gunn looks like he's going to be a big guy in the future. And you look at his numbers, they don't blow you away, nine for 42, but still 4.7 yards of carry. And he was in at the end of the game because Keaton was dinged up. I think they, they went through the concussion protocol and, and they took his helmet away. Uh, he should be fine. We talked to him post-game. He looked fine. But – Marlon Gunn had some huge runs on that last series, Jason, and ball security. He was holding on to it. He was falling forward for extra yardage. He he looks like he's going to be a special player. He's a he's a lean forward guy, and when he runs with the ball, you can tell his pad level is correct. He's 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 obviously had some good coaching down in Baton Rouge because. He he, we call him. I used to call him blaster running backs. We had this thing called the blaster, which had these strong, you know, these tightly wound arms that running backs would run through. And you had running backs who were really good who'd run straight up through it, and they could barely make it through it. And they're still your studs. But you had the guys that could put their pad level almost equal to their eye level and just lean in. And that's what Marlon Gunn does. The only mistake I saw him made all night was dropping that pass that he had to convert for a first down. But a, a young running back, he's. You know, I don't know how much they threw the ball in high school. He's probably still getting used to that. And honestly, his eyes turned up field too quick. He didn't secure the ball. If he'd have turned up field with the ball, uh, you know, it wouldn't even be an error. And he had a great night. But nine carries for forty-two yards. I'll take that all all day from a true freshman running back in a big game like that on the road, so far away. And the way he responded from that early drop, you know, obviously he was hurt in the moment, but he came back and delivered when it mattered at the end. Um, Holton Aylers, 15-22, 197. BYU, you know, we're sitting way up top in the press box, and and they pretty much gave ECU the run all night. It was kind of crazy. Like, they were way off the line of scrimmage. Um, And Holton basically said that postgame. So there wasn't a ton of of passing opportunities there, but he still, you know, doesn't really put the ball in jeopardy. You know, 15-22, 197. Um, another 70% completion game or close to it. And then in the red zone, he comes through with the two touchdown runs. And we've been waiting for that all year. You know, like uh, like we said in the chat, make it 11-on-11 football. 
in the red zone. He finds the end zone. He's just playing at such a high level right now, man. And and we're almost taking it for granted right now. But he he's one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And and you know statistically, I think he's playing like it as well. Yeah, no no interceptions. We had no turnovers. We had two penalties. Um, and if you really watch him when he's running the football, he's he's injured. And he's he's playing tough. He's a like Brett said a couple weeks ago. He is a warrior, and I I, I really feel like Pirate Nation's finally starting to respect the work body of work this young man has provided for us over the last few years. We're gonna miss him. I mean, we really will. I mean, the guy's a gamer and he's a team player. Um, it, the one piece about Holton that's most important to me is he he never looks discombobulated or confused out there. He just always looks under control. He, he knows the offense. He knows where the ball is supposed to go. He knows the checks and et cetera. And he also doesn't start trying to force it nowadays as he did early on when, when they were double bracketing coverage and, you know, CJ and, and, and Isaiah, you know, and the only, the only piece I think looking back at it. And again, I don't have access to the film to see us try to work Ron Jones more and some of the quick game and some of the underneath stuff. But like you said, I'm, I'm really confused why BYU uh, more or less gave us the run game because that, that changes the dynamic of the clock of the game like we talked about earlier. It changes the flow of the game, and it can really be demoralizing to your defense when you got somebody ripping off 10- and 14-yard runs uh, just based on the box that you're presenting with the covered shell behind it. Yeah, and it was there all night, and – even when they crashed on the run, they couldn't get uh, they couldn't get the angle on Keaton Mitchell. It was amazing. Um, defensively, Jason, it was a tough night for the for the defensive front. But one guy who did stand out, Chance Bates. I mean, he made the big stop on fourth down. I thought he played the best among all the linebackers. And we talked to him after the game. Um, he, he, I think he got the start. He played played a lot of snaps, and I, I think he I think he deserves some more snaps going forward based on how he played. The dude is just a damn stud, period. He really is. I love watching him play. He he's his body type, his ability to make plays. He's tough as hell. Um, what a pickup in the transfer portal. Obviously, there's a relationship there with Blake Carroll, but having that foresight to say, let's bring this guy on. It can be detrimental sometimes when you bring in a, a grad student slash senior, you know, fifth year senior into your program when you got a couple guys who've been playing a lot uh, with X and and and, and Miles, and, and to bring him in. If we did not have him, we probably don't win that football game the other night. I, I you know, people might disagree with that, but Chance Bates was out there just laying the lumber on people. And it was just fun to watch because it, it reminds me of a lot of the great power linebackers had in the past. I'm not trying to say he's, you know, ring of honor and anything like that, but it, it, you know, he, he was a difference maker in that game Friday night. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. The fact that he's here and it's part of being a power nation. I think he said after the game too, he wishes he'd have been here for more years, which is unfortunate, but you know what, let's enjoy him while he's here. How crazy is it, Jason, that, you know, every year we get these these transfers and, and we kind of hype them up. And, you know, there there's times where, honestly, they're overhyped. And, you know, it's the offseason, so, like, we got to talk about something as media members. But almost all the, the grad transfers ECU bought, brought in, Isaiah Winstead, 
Justin Red, a pre-Washington now playing a huge role on defense, Chance Bates, Chandre Mims, Jalen Johnson before he got hurt. I mean, all these guys have been critical to the team's success, and they've all meshed, and that's not easy to do. Nine games into the season, basically all your main transfers are, are playing a, a critical role, and uh, I think that speaks to the culture, and I, I think without those guys, certainly ECU would not be 6-3 and three right now. Parker Moore. Yeah, Parker Moore has been awesome. Jack Powers. Yep. I mean, you, you think about it, what would our tackles look like right now with the situation with – the, the guy who left the program. Yeah. And, and I mean, we would, we would be in Noah, Noah's battling through that back issue and he's always going to have that back issue. Um, and, and, you know, I'm hoping he feels better through a week of rest this week, but uh, we, we would be in trouble. And, you know, the, the, the key is, and I can never say this enough times, but coach Houston has established the culture and, and like them for, you know, people complain about Donnie and all this, that, and other, and I think it's a bunch of hogwash in the end. But it's they, – they look for a certain personality and a certain type of person who they know can come in and play a role. Because at pre-Washington, our former grad transfers would have started pouting and complaining at NC State game and the, the ODU game and this game because they're not getting to play as much. And now look at him. He's what he's played every snap for two straight games at, at uh, field corner, or you know, and it was it was a boundary corner. Is he boundary or field? I can't remember which one he is. I think they got Malik at boundary now, and they and the okay. priest playing field. Okay, so well, and, and he's doing a, a really good job. Um, and so it's 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 those plug and play guys like that that have that character and that that maturity level. And it's going to be interesting to see what the how we play the Legos and, and the the domino pieces in the in after this season once we get out of the bowl game and have a big win there, as far as who we bring in to fill in some of the spots we have to, to fill in. Yeah, I, I think you're going to have to hit the portal again, and hopefully you can get uh, as many of these guys clones as possible. Right. Um, but yeah, critical. I, I want to get your your thoughts on the fourth down decisions in the fourth quarter, Jason. First, BYU goes for it. In a similar situation, but earlier in the fourth quarter, it's a tie game. They don't take the field goal. They go for it on fourth and two. That's when Bates made the stop. They mm-hmm. go for it again on the QB sneak. By the way, great job by the defense recognizing that quick count and, and getting the stop. But then ECU gets the ball. You know, three minutes left, fourth and one inside the 10, and ECU goes for it. Keaton Mitchell, I, I still swear he got the first down, but he did not get a good spot either way. And then the fourth and eighth on the ensuing possession, Mike Houston said, go for the win. I, I, I know Brett wanted the punt. I think I, I said punt. I don't remember what, what you said, but uh, what, what were you thinking there in that spot? You, you're probably not able to uh, say what I was saying in that text thread during that time. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is what it is, right? It, it's a gamble. Um, and you're, you're the hero or the goat. And that's the that's the reality of the coaching profession. Um you got a guy like Isaiah Winstead out there, and their 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 DB panicked. He did because the ball's in the air, and they've watched tape, and they've watched this guy make play after play after play, and you get the yellow flag. I mean, you just and so it's a great call. If it goes the other way, we've got epic meltdown on HTC, and um, 
I'm not I'm not looking at the the message board for about three days, and I'll come back on Thursday and start talking about getting ready for Cincinnati in another week. And uh, it's just it is what it is. I mean, it, it's you know, hats off. We we've gone we've had some some uh, we've won some games over the last two years, right around the same time period. Think about the Navy game and the Memphis game last year. It's the same time period. Our team starts getting seasoned and confident, and some of the calls by the coaches could have gone the complete opposite way and we'd have a whole different mindset right now as far as just, you know, fan meltdown. But it works. So to me, it's a hell of a play and a hell of a call. And I don't know what the angle was on TV, but like where we were positioned in the press box, I could tell the referee didn't want to throw it like the flag, mm-hmm. but it was so blatant. And the guy, you know, the guy basically tackled him. He had both of his arms, like he had to throw it. Mm-hmm. And he had the safety coming over the top. He really didn't need to do it, I don't think. But uh, certainly works out for ECU. Conrad gets the kick to go through. Uh, <laughs> somehow the lowest kick of all time. Um, <laughs> he told a fan after the game that he hit the ground first before he kicked it. So, well, If you watch it, he's also – his his body weight's back. His yeah. body weight's pointing towards the 50. So it was like a – it was almost like he, the 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 – the moment caught up with him a little bit and he didn't really follow through with his mechanics. Um, I've watched him in pregame warmups a couple of times the last two weeks and uh, at home and he, he booms it. Yeah. Man. He can kick it. That, that burner. I mean, I'm surprised it didn't take off some Bermuda grass there in, 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 this, in LaVille Edwards stadium. It was so low, but, uh, but it went in and that's all that matters. I just love watching it on replay and, and, uh, quite honestly, when it happened, I got so, somewhat emotional because it's, uh, you're sitting there going, we just won at BYU, you know, like with 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 some you know some adversity during the game and stuff like that. And we we won. I remember going down there with Ruff, and we didn't win. We didn't finish the game, and we're starting to do that. But you know, it, it is what it is. It went through. But the the PD to Pirate was in the end zone down there where he was, and just watching his reaction to it, you know, it, during the game, I didn't I couldn't tell if it went in or not, but I saw PD to Pirate doing his little. His little dance, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's go, boys. It's on. That's the thing. How many times have we said, well, what a great effort by EC on the road in a tough environment. You know, wish we could have finished it. Well, the Pirates did. And now it's it's a chance to do it again, Jason, in a couple weeks. And all of a sudden, you know, regardless of what happened to the BYU game, they were going to be in this 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 conference race again if, if UCF beat Cincinnati, especially. That happens on Saturday. Now it's kind of an interesting top of the standings. ECU certainly still needs to do a lot of work. They have to win out first mm-hmm. first and foremost. Then they got to have UCF lose one. But if they win out and they beat Cincinnati and they beat Houston, they'll have the tiebreaker for both those teams. So a ton to play for coming up in a couple of weeks. And, you know, certainly the, the team is going to be motivated going into that game either way. But I think this bye comes out the perfect time. They're taking momentum. You know, this is going to be an absolute dogfight of a game. Again, I don't think Cincinnati has lost at home in like five years. So, another tall order, but uh, they got to play Navy this week. ECU gets to sit back and, and study up, and I think that plays a big big role in this game. Absolutely. And having the, the, the calendar actually finally works in our, our favor a little bit. I'm convinced there's somebody at AAC headquarters who uh, – says when they start making the schedule for conference games, let's just screw East Carolina somehow. But I know it's just – that's the hocus pocus, but it is what it is. Um, tough game at Central Florida this past Saturday. They got to come back and play Navy next week. 
then they got turned around on a short week and play us at home. Uh, I wouldn't put anything past ECU to, to go up there and 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 win that game. Uh, I think we're perfectly capable of. Cincinnati is still Cincinnati. I watched them. I watched that entire game on Saturday afternoon, and they are tough. They're big. They're physical. Uh, their quarterback Ben Bryant's really good. Um, they, I swear, some of these guys that play tight end have been there for 15 years. I think they went in when same. 81 class. has been there for like 18 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, he, I think he played for Rick Mentor. Um, but uh, you know, it, it it is what it is. It's a tough game on the road on a Friday night. Another national game. Another chance to you know stamp the brand down, and and that's why I hope our players are you know getting rest this week and getting some guys back. They're they've been banged up. Because we're going to need everybody, you know, everybody rolling the boat in the same direction. And, uh, it, you know, I'm actually, this is early in the, in the process, but I actually feel better about beating Cincinnati than I did BYU. I just thought we we're walking into a, a bad situation at, in, in, out there in Utah, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah, I, I honestly feel the same way. And I'm going to, I'm going to say right now, Jason, I will pick against ECU again in hopes that I can keep the, uh, the mojo going. I picked against them. Going to UCF, I picked against them going into BYU. I'm going to pick against them going to Cincinnati. Like you said, certainly capable of winning the game, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's going to be a it's going to be a war, man. It's going to be a heck of a, a battle. And but ECU is going to go in confident, and they know they they've got a shot to win. Uh, certainly, I think they're going to play better than they did against BYU. We'll have plenty of time to break that one down in, in the coming games. But yeah, that that nine game stretch to start the year was brutal. But it does kind of work in your favor now that you actually got through it, and you got through it for the most part, you know, in pretty good shape. Um, you still got some lingering issues, and as far as injuries, but now you kind of get a break going to Cincinnati as far as extra time to prepare. So, big game coming up. We'll uh, we'll have that. We'll have some bye week coverage as well. We got we actually got Jeremy Lewis set to join us later this week uh, as as part of Team Boneyard the NIL deal. So we'll have Jeremy on later this week talk about him and. We'll talk about how he can avoid lining up off sides and also talk about his hit on Jaron Hall as well. But uh, looking forward to that. But, Jason, we appreciate it, man. Another big win for East Carolina. And uh, glad you're, you're here to recap it and glad we're talking about a another bowl-eligible team. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. And uh, go damn Pirates. Let's, let's get ready for UC. That's the most important game of the year because it's the next game. Bottom line. Go friggin' pirates. All right. Boils were parts. Boils were parts. Hey, but by the way, we need to have yeah. a podcast about us stealing the UCF. Uh, I know. <laughs> hey, I'm planning to hit that later this week. And yeah, uh, rumors out there that ECU apparently got a stolen UCF playbook, but Bunch hey, they'll make, on. they'll make up whatever they can to avoid the uh, embarrassment they took uh, a few weeks Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Thanks, Stephen, for having me on, buddy. Absolutely. That is Jason Tindall. I'm Stephen Igo. Thank you guys for listening to the Hoist Colors podcast.
third. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.